0: Now number one for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon.
1: Our number two on a Tuesday. Trent Condon back with you. It's Miller & Condon on 1460 KXNO. At 106.3 FM. Ken back with us later on this hour. He'll drop by at about 11.45 for his final hit of the day. Still to come. We're going to do our deep dive here. as We're going to start marching through the great teams in the state's history. Today it's the 1999-2000 Iowa State basketball team. Tomorrow, We'll get into Iowa football. The 2002 Iowa football team will be our topic de jure. That's coming your way here in about 20 minutes. But before that, we go to Bristol. He is ESPN's SportsCenter, Zubin Zuba and he joins us here today. Zubin, good to talk again. How's things out east?
2: Pretty good, pretty good, considering the circumstances. We have about 41 confirmed cases in Connecticut. but Obviously, from all the uh, research that has been done, I think I saw a story that said for every one person, there's five to ten people that are undetected. They've uh, pretty much closed all the restaurants, the bars, non-essential things. Uh, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, actually, Trent, uh, in an effort to try to curb some people that are not taking this seriously, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, got together with the governors of Connecticut and my home state of New Jersey and essentially said, let's do something in concert because there were too many fears that, If something, even something as simple as a casino, which I know you're obviously invested in gambling, Mm -hmm. or something in one of these three states was closed, these three states are so tightly bunched that you could easily drive to one of the other two and say, well, okay, well, this is closed in New York, well, I'll just go to one of the other places. And so they've actually gotten together and decided to shut things down in a trifecta fashion, which is pretty interesting and a sad reality that there are enough people out there that are not willing to follow uh, the regulations, the guidelines, the suggestions that they've actually had to do something like this.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely wild. We're having it happen here in our state as uh, the governor has handed down that a lot of these public places will be shut down at noon today. So we're a little less than an hour away from that one happening inside of our state borders. And, and it's going to continue You know, as we were going through everything last week. Take us inside the walls of Bristol As you guys are learning, it started really, to me, the firestorm in the world of sports with Rudy Gobert and that wild, what was that, Wednesday night when everything was just trickling down and the suspensions and the NBA season has been suspended and on and on and on. Continues into the next day on Thursday with the cancellation of the conference tournaments followed by, of course, the NCAA tournament being shut down. What it was like for you guys at ESPN?
2: Well, I'll give you the uh, short-term and the long-term view. In the short-term, it was one of those situations where on the surface, I think everybody wanted a pound of flesh from Rudy Gilbert, especially after that video that was posted on Monday with uh, touching all the microphones. And then we had Donovan Mitchell Mitchell on Good Morning America yesterday in which he said he took him a while to cool off uh, with regards to Rudy Gilbert because then he was the second-known player to contract this. But I think in some strange fashion trend, and I don't know if you agree with this, that diagnosis might have been the best thing that happened. Because I think you get yourself into a situation where if he doesn't test positive, eventually probably Mitchell does because they're teammates. And then the third player, Christian Wood, Christian Wood had played Rudy Gobert and the Jazz on March 7th. And by some statistical oddity, Wood and Gobert, who were both eventually diagnosed, played the most minutes of anyone in that particular game. Wood had like 30 points. And it's one of those situations where you look at it and say, how could somebody be so irresponsible? And Adam Silver wanted him to do a PSA, Rudy Gobert. And Gobert has been pretty apologetic on social media, I'm sure, as we have seen. But if that didn't happen at that moment, I'm not exactly sure where sports would be. Uh, You know, some famous people like Tom Hanks, his wife, Idris Elba. Some of these other people have come out before and after Gobert's diagnosis. But while people were wondering how somebody could be so um, careless, I think in hindsight, some sort of silver lining way, him being diagnosed really accelerated the shutdown, especially in the sports world and then what you've seen uh, after that. There was a great piece, for those of you listeners, and I know you're very interested in sports media, but for those of your listeners that are also interested, there's a great piece in the New York Times yesterday that basically said every week the top 50 shows on cable come out and sports is littered throughout. Seven of the top 15 are almost guaranteed in many ways, to be sports. Last week of the top 50 shows on cable TV, zero were sports programs. So that just goes to show you um, what has essentially happened. For us, we're still working. We had a lot of coverage over the weekend on the NFL, on the CBA, on Rick Pitino. We did the 6 o'clock Sports Center last night. I'll be going to again today. We're going to do shows on the weekend. We're waiting for breaking news from the NFL. on the biggest guy of all, as you know. Um, and you're right, that'll probably take us through this week. Then there'll be the draft. But I do think there'll be a giant hole between next week and the draft. I'm not, a, I'm not a guy that thinks we can just do that nonstop. I'm not sure the audience, there's enough people in the audience while the draft is popular, while well, that won't be the case. But I think we'll be able to get through this week, sports wise. We do have a lot of things this day in sports history. One thing that you would really appreciate, Trent, being such a high school sports fan, Scott Mappell came up with this idea. That he did it on the show Sunday night, we did it last night is essentially finding teams, and some, some are obvious, but Marcus Howard, mm-hmm. Sabrina UNESCO, Miles Powell, you know, um, seniors that aren't going to get their due. But what Scott and the crew have done, and we just continued last night, if you're a high school team and you're about to play in the state championship and it gets canceled, let us know. We'll find video of you getting to the state championship. I'll give you an example. Class 6A Arkansas the school we did there yesterday, hadn't been to the final since Joe Johnston was their best player <laughs> in 1999. And we said, all right, let us know. You got this far? Send us some video. Or we'll reach out to a local station that may be affiliated with ABC and we can get it through there. And we're just sort of recognizing people. There's a guy in South Florida that hit a buzzer beater in his last game. Little did they know it was in his last game. So if you're a senior or you're taking off that uniform for the last time, a guy like Obi Toppin, who you know is not going to return, and Cassius Winston's not going to return because he's a senior. Those are two different guys. We're basically finding out about guys and gals that either had their career shortened, like Unesco came back just to try to win, (laughs) if it's one of those situations, or if you're a high school student uh, and you're in a situation or a small college student, we did IUPUI yesterday as well, that if you had a moment that was sort of taken away from you, let us know, we'll put it on the air and we'll recognize you. For what you did. So we're getting pretty creative in some stuff, and I think that's getting some good
1: public feedback. Yeah, no, another one of those uh, on the high school level I just heard last night as the guys during uh, the fanatics they had Jake Sullivan and Jake Sullivan and, and Jess Settles on as they do throughout basketball season. Jake Sullivan working up in Minnesota at a high school up there at Eden Prairie. Eden Prairie had never won a state championship. They were number one this season. They were undefeated on the year. And, of course, they're not going to get their opportunity to win a state title. And there's stories like that across the country, guys that never got the opportunity, never got the chance to, uh, to play their final game. And to have that taken away regardless of what we're talking about, from college to high school and all the way through. And that's another oddity here, just how quickly everything went away. And these people, they're left wondering, what's next? What's next? I, I can't imagine. I was a terrible athlete, but I still played a lot of sports. But all of a sudden, your season is over like that. You know you have a game, and if you lose it, it's over. But to not even get to play that game. Just how devastating that has to be.
2: Well, I'll give you two examples. One, to your point of how quickly things have moved. There were fans. I mean, remember, you mentioned the shutdown of the NBA and the NCAA tournament. Let's say by the close of business on Thursday, all of that was done, right? As I recall, basically the night before, there were thousands of people at the Big Ten tournament. Like Mm -hmm. thousands of people at the Big Ten tournament. So you're right, how quickly it goes from that to Fred Hoiberg with that terrible look where, uh, thankfully, it doesn't look like he has the coronavirus. But you go from that moment to basically 24 hours later and everything is shut down. There was a Post Malone concert in Denver last week where there were thousands of people. There's video of Clearwater Beach in Florida recently where there's thousands of people up the shoreline, and it's unbelievable. But one other story I will tell you, Fred, from a proximity standpoint, and I know you guys are talking to, to Jess and, from Iowa, and Jake Sullivan, who I covered at Iowa State. um, We had a situation like that here with Hartford, and we're in Bristol, Connecticut. It was like a 20-minute drive from Hartford, Connecticut. The Hartford Hawks said, listen, we actually had our American East championship game canceled. They were scheduled to play Vermont, who had won their conference title four straight years, regular season, and they were kind of powerhouse in the American East. Game was 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2 Saturday to go to the tournament program has been around since 84, 85, 35 years, never made the tournament. Their head coach has been around about 10 years. His name is John Gallagher. I live close to him here, so I know him socially. He's never been to the tournament. Their best player is a guy named Malik Ellison, who had started his career at St. John, transferred to Pittsburgh, and then transferred to Hartford. He was in his fifth year of eligibility, and he was 40 minutes away. They had never been. They upset Stony Brook in the semifinals on a 17-8 run to close the game. And they said, listen, why don't you come in? drive 20 minutes away and they came in and we talked about it and you could just see the look on Malik's face when he, I asked him just like what was it like because you know the times we live in now Trent, it's like coach Gallagher gets them in there for the interview um, to talk to the team as a whole and say listen this is what's going to happen but the kids already know about it because of social media so he's got to temper the blow because the kids are already walking into that meeting with their shoulders slumped and their heads down and Coach Gallagher said to me, and I don't know about you, I asked him, when did you think the tournament was going to be called off? He said the second the NBA canceled everything, I thought the tournament was going to be off, Gallagher said. And I said the next day, and I don't know if you guys agree, once Duke said, you're not touch- touching our athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Once Kansas said, you're not touching our guys. They're not playing the tournament without those two brands, right? I think we know that, right? And so I think whether you realize it Wednesday night is the cancellation of the NBA or you realized it on Thursday. Um, after Duke and Kansas kind of said, we're imparting our own measures. Um, it was really a sad reality. Lastly, I'll tell you, Trent, for people that were critical of the Ivy League for canceling their tournament, granted it's only a four-team tournament, um, they proved, they were proven to be correct. And for people that criticized the tennis, the tennis was the first major organization uh, that canceled an event uh, the BNB Paribas Open. So I think I talked to Billis on Thursday, and I think everybody, I don't think there's to be a lawyer or Jay Billis to know this, but I think
1: being overly cautious, and prudent at times like this, is the only way to be. Uh, no doubt. And, uh, you know, looking forward, you mentioned the calendar. We got free agency in the NFL happening. There'll be the draft that's coming up. There's going to be content. But if this extends into May, and, and we're talking about this still going on and still not having answers for a network like you, you know, we're, we're brainstorming different ideas, different things, different content to give people a break and give them a respite from – what they're dealing with day to day, and just even though it's not going to be actual games to talk about, great memories and things like that. You guys have any ideas that you've been spitballing with SportsCenter with ESPN as a whole? I've seen plenty of 30, 30 for thirties, and any one of them miss that I missed, I know I'm going to be able to go back and see here in the coming weeks.
2: Yeah, the programming team is really working hard on this, and I think what I, and I'm not on the programming team; I'm only an anchor. But uh, I don't have I'm not privy to what's going on over there. But I would tell you that I think we're releasing our program schedule one day in advance so i think we're probably like everybody else we're sort of thinking about things in the very short term so for example tomorrow's schedule i would assume at some point would be released uh today and then uh when uh, wednesday th- uh, thursday's schedule would be released on wednesday and we would just go day by day the one thing i would tell you there's a lot of sports that are on the air our morning show get up is actually airing twice a day uh live from new york and the one thing I would say for us, with regards to sports centers, so the only entity that I can really probably talk about uh, with any sort of uh, know-how of what's going on, you look at something like Major League Baseball. I mean, they go from they go from pushing the season back two weeks to suspending spring training, and now they're looking at possibly a mid-June start for the NBA after they had said it's only going to be 30 days um, after a reevaluation period. Hockey was put on pause. Uh, The NFL draft will happen without fans. The UFC is actually, believe it or not, happening full bore. They're going to have to move some events. In fact, this week, there's an event that's taking place on an Indian reservation in Oklahoma. I know you have some Oklahoma ties, but the next event is actually going to be at an Indian reservation because now, as you know, obviously public gatherings of more than 10 are are being uh, basically outlawed. Uh, They have a huge fight on April 18th, a gigantic fight between a guy named Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, uh, the first guy, Khabib Nurmagomedov, actually uh, defeated Conor McGregor. And that actually, as you may recall, uh, started a brawl after the fight. I'm sure many fans may not remember the fight, but they may remember the two guys spilling into the crowd. It was a really embarrassing situation for UFC. That particular fight is scheduled to go on. We had Dana on Sports Center yesterday, UFC president Dana White, and I asked him what's going on. He goes, listen, the next three events are postponed this Khabib-Tony fight, and this is amazing because all of the other sports leagues are basically saying, we're shutting down, and he is essentially saying, this fight, which is a gigantic fight, could be the biggest fight of the year, the guy that beat Connor and started the brawl, this is all going to happen. He goes, but it's probably going to happen outside of the country, and I'm not particularly sure where it's going to happen right now. So there's something about the last sport's standing nature of UFC that is really strange in times like this, but when I asked Dana why they're continuing to do it, he said, this is who we are. Uh, Dana is also very closely aligned with President Trump. And President Trump essentially told him, in, and I'm going to paraphrase here uh, be vigilant, be careful, but don't curtail what you're doing all the time. That seems to run a little bit counter to what other people are saying, but UFC is still going. And as long as we have those developments, to answer your question, as long as UFC is going to continue to put matches on, as long as these other sports leagues are continuing to say, okay, we're going to reevaluate here. We thought it was going to be two weeks, and now it's probably going to be pushed back. When things like that continue to happen, those are things fans want to know about. Um, And there's just a question, you know, I'll just use the NBA. I know it's not a huge topic out your way, but, you know, we'll just have our insiders on and say, you know, what could be the plan, right? Because it hardly seems like one plan would be enough. Could Mm. you play a couple of regular season games, have the playoffs? Can you cancel the regular season, have the playoffs, and just feed the teams? as they are now. And then just think back. You know, the NBA crowned a champion after a 66-game season eight years ago. They crowned a 50-game champion, the San Antonio Spurs, 21 years ago. So just giving some context to what these cancellations mean. And as these leagues continue to alter their plans, I think fans are going to want to know what's going on and we'll be there to chronicle it. So, like I said, it's not super extensive, but there does seem to be enough things for the time being.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, Zuba Mahete from ESPN here, here on Miller & Condon on KXNO about the big news of today. Tom Brady saying he is leaving New England. I was surprised by it, and I, I thought, I don't know, foregone conclusion is the cre- correct terminology, but I thought he was going to be back in a Patriot uniform. Your takeaway from the big news of the day. Yeah,
2: actually, I was completely shuttered away from sports early this morning for a couple of personal things I had to take care of. Uh, so I'm actually just hearing this for the first time. When did it happen? I'm just
1: kind of real curious. Before that break. Uh, he, he It was an Instagram post. Uh, I saw it when I got up this morning, probably around, it was 7.30, 8 o'clock, I guess, uh, when I first saw it Central Time. So happened quite a while ago now, Zubin, and put out on Instagram that he's always going to have a part of him that is the Patriots, but... He is moving on. So, well, I think I know what you're going to be starting the uh, 6 o'clock sports center with tonight.
2: <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. You know, last night when we didn't have this news and Tannehill had signed that deal, you look at it and say, well, if it's going to be Brable, if it'll be the Titans, if they put the tag on Henry, that seems like a good option. Uh, New England, I actually don't think seems like a bad option. If your goal is to get back to the Super Bowl, I do think they'll fortify. But I'm going to ask you, I mean, think about it from this, Think about the suitors that are open. I mean, am I wrong? Would it be it can't be the Raiders, right? maybe it can be the could Raiders, be still, but it seems unlikely yep. with Mario, right? Yep. I mean, right now, is it is it the Chargers and the Bucks? Is there really anybody is am I missing something super obvious? Or are, are those really his best options? Is the greatest player of all time and perhaps the best position and most scrutinized position in sports? Is is he gonna be thinking about playing at a soccer stadium or the Bucks in place of Jameis Winston it, Am I missing anything? Is there another team out there that could possibly get his services?
1: Those are the two, at least, betting favorites right now. Tampa, minus 250. The Chargers are plus 160. Other teams listed include the Dolphins, the Raiders, the 49ers are still on there. The Bears, if they can make it, certainly muddy work and able to do that. They'd have to trade away Leonard Floyd and a few other pieces and maybe even Khalil Mack and suddenly that defense then would be rebuilding. I guess there are other options out there. Hey, Michael Jordan wore a Wizards uniform. Why can't Tom Brady wear a Bears uniform, right?
2: That's, that's a really good comparison. They're both sort of at the end of their careers. They basically put about 20 years in. They were iconically known for playing for one franchise. You're, you're totally right. The 49ers thing seemed a little pie in the sky, but you're right. I mean, Tom blended firmly in cheek. I know the uh, the Bears were planning to push Mitch Trubisky uh, this training camp, this would be a certainly a definite way to do that. Yes. It would go from push Mitch Trubisky to push him aside. I think it's basically the way that that would go, and I know that uh, you're a Bears fan. Obviously, with the Dolphins, you think about it, and the situation with Tua or Herbert, if they could get their hands on one of these mm-hmm. two guys, is, is this a, I mean, I don't think this could be the case, but if, let's say, Brady plays a, a couple more years, considering what kind of contract he would sign, and obviously Alex Smith was only in there for one year, and as I recall, Mahomes, played the final regular season game, that Smith started in his final year. So, you know, Smith started basically one year and gave the way to the Mahomes. I don't think Tom Brady would be in that sort of situation because he would want to go to a place where he would be playing multiple years. He turns 43 on August 3, and he says he wants to play till 45. So is it the craziest thing in the world? I have no idea. To sign Tom Brady, and if you're a team with a young quarterback, have him soak up knowledge for two years while that player, whether it's Tua or somebody else, I'm just spitballing here, is on a rookie deal where it's very manageable to have some, like somebody like Tom Brady that's going to obviously ask for a massive contract. Um, and then you have somebody waiting in the wings, and this isn't going to be a situation like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers where one guy's angling for the other guy's job. One guy has basically said, look, at 45 I'll be gracefully aging out of the game, and uh, I'll try to give you all the help you can get as long as it's my job, as long as I, I want it. So I can see this, the dynamics trend being a little bit different if Brady were to go to another team, which obviously is going to happen, and then who that team's number one is going to be, and if it's possible that that team's number two could be groomed to be number one with all of the inside information Tom Brady could give him on being a quarterback. So I think that's pretty fascinating. Thanks for getting me in the loop. It's just been one of those days where I'm waking up now and thinking about a couple of other things before I'm diving in. But I would agree, it is probably – a safe assumption to assume
1: this will be the top story. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We'll be watching for you tonight here at five o'clock our time, ESPN Sports Center. Thank you so much, Zubin. All right, stay safe, Trent. Thank you, Zubin Mahete joining us as he does each and every Tuesday here on Miller and And Quick time out. Coming back and it's time for that deep dive. That's right. We're getting into the great teams in Iowa history: Cyclones, Hawkeyes. We got some Panthers and Bulldogs and. We'll see how long this goes. We might go even deeper. Maybe the high schools will start to jump into that, but that's down the road. Coming up today, it is a revisit of the 1999-2000 Iowa State basketball team. The run to the Elite Eight. That team, what they did, I got the numbers. I got the stats. I got highlights for you. Relive it with me. 99-2000 Iowa State basketball. Up next here, it's Miller and Condon. Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. And in time for our daily deep dive into the great teams in the state of Iowa's history. Today, our first of our installment as we look back at the 1999-2000 Iowa State basketball team. Ken Miller is still to come here later on this hour. We'll get some more memories from him of this great team, but let's get into it as uh, I went through found some highlights for you we're going to talk about this squad the expectations coming into the year and you know this is always kind of the part that I, that I love doing when I go back and look at the teams just finding out the things that we missed and I think we all remember regardless even if you're not a cyclone fan you remember the elite 8 game 20 years ago even if you don't remember it if you're younger you've heard stories about that game the win in the sweet 16 as they throttle UCLA and win that one by 24, the NCAA tournament, that's its own, and the run through the Big 12 tournament and winning that tournament championship, winning the regular season title. These are the little blips that you certainly remember about this team. But as I was going through the research yesterday for this squad, a couple of notes. They were the preseason number 6 pick in the Big 12. I, I, I guess I wasn't shocked by it, but... I would anticipate it maybe a little bit higher. Now, this is a team coming on the heels of a 15 and 15 season. Is that what they were the year before? Year number two of Larry Eustachy. People still didn't know what kind of coach he certainly was going to turn out to be with Iowa State. So the expectations coming into the year weren't huge. And then they start off the year losing to Drake. Back in the days, the good old days when Iowa, Iowa State, when they would play the home and homes with the, cycle, with the, with the Bulldogs and the Panthers. that's not the case anymore. But they open up the season on a Friday night against the Drake Bulldogs, and Drake gets them, 48-44. Dante Harris had 17 for Drake in that one. Mike Woodley made two free throws with 1.4 seconds left as Drake got the victory in that one. And with it, I'm sure a lot of people were wondering. The questions were asked. I wasn't doing sports talk radio at the time. I'm still three, four years away from starting my career in, in this crazy industry, but I'm going to guess that the questions were abundant at that time. What did we get the right guy to replace Tim Floyd? 15 and 15 in year one, and now we're losing to Drake. They had to be out there. Well, they bounced back. They bounced back and win their next couple of games, including a win against Arkansas out in Hawaii, but then they played number one Cincinnati. You remember that Cincy team, right? Kenyon Martin and company. Incredibly good. They get throttled, 75-60 in the championship game out in Hawaii. They bounce back, though, and they go on a long winning streak. Yet with this long winning streak, as they rattle off, what was it, 14 consecutive victories, 14 straight wins after the loss to Cincinnati, yet Iowa State's still not ranked. It took them until February 1st. This is a team that went 32-5. and It took them until February 1st before they were finally ranked. Marcus Pfizer led the team twenty-two point eight points per game, seven and a half rebounds per contest. Michael Nurse was the second leading scorer on the squad, set twelve and a half points per game, couple assists, three rebounds per contest. And Jamal Tinsley and what he was able to do—the new guy on the scene coming in from junior college—eleven points, five rebounds, six and a half assists per contest. Not an overly deep team. It was Pfizer, Nurse, Tinsley. Stevie Johnson, Cantrell Horton, Paul Shirley, a little Martin Rancic, and a little Brandon Hawkins, a name that I just I hadn't remembered until I started watching a bunch of these highlights of this squad. And I'm oh, yeah, I thought that guy was going to be good. Lass, of course, didn't complete up his career at Iowa State, but that was really it. Other guys that played a little bit, Richard Evans, Thomas Watkins, Brad Davis, Justin Freeze, and Clint Varley, there's a name, Certainly remember from a high school lore, but overall, that was a squad. Not a deep squad by any means, but they started to click and really got it going a little bit later on as the season continued. Big win against Iowa. They won that one by 13, beat and I by 32 in the contest at home as the wins continue to pile up. They get into Big 12 play. They open up the season in Big 12 play against Missouri win that one go on the road and beat nebraska it was just by a point it wasn't a great nebraska team by any way but we remember for a long time what it was hilt magic and then on the road not so much from the big eight to the big 12 days that was the case a lot they got that one then colorado and here's a clip from that game against colorado and jamal tinsley a wizard with the basketball just take a look at this great highlight take a listen i should say oh
0: my goodness. Look good tinsley Leaves it for Shirley. That was a clinic. Started out as ball possession. Finished up with showtime. Moore misses the three. Shirley the rebound. Tinsley to the freshman Hawkins. Oh! Showtime again.
1: Javal Tinsley, just absolutely incredible. That was, he was all over the place. It's hard to tell because it was a television broadcast, but he was Falling down, getting up on one knee. He was going Harlem Globetrotters. It was absolutely incredible as Iowa State jumped out to a 4-0 record in the Big Ten. But yet still looming is Kansas. They drop a game down in Norman, their first loss of the season. They come back a week later with Kansas in Hilton. And Marcus Pfizer, as he did all season long, the difference.
0: Goodman with defensive help that time, Kinsley on the wing, down low, Pfizer turn around, jump shot, good, Marcus Pfizer taking advantage of a smaller lineup. And a turnover on the inbound pass, Iowa State gets it right back. When you get into conference play, they talk about value your possession, and both teams have very much valued it over the last couple minutes, but a costly turnover right there for Kansas. And now Chenoweth and Toddleston set to come back on the floor as Pfizer's hurt Kansas with a couple of quick baskets. Dinsley, Pfizer, he's going to fire for three. And he got it. Marcus Pfizer with a three point field
1: goal. Pfizer inside, outside, as we got to know it. They get the win at home against the Jayhawks 74 66. After that game is when they finally get into the national rankings as they appear in both the coaches and the AP poll. Later on, a couple weeks later, then the return trip down to Allen Fieldhouse. And again, Marcus Pfizer
0: six on the shot clock. Tinsley, way outside. Three on the shot clock. They've got to get one off because they're going to do it. Pfizer, oh, an nearly impossible shot. Huge from right for Pfizer. Iowa State up by four with six seconds to play. A nearly impossible shot, Paul.
1: He got it done, though. And Marcus Pfizer, watching these highlights, and, and you forget just what a special player. That he is. They continued on. The only loss of the regular season after that game was a road trip to Colorado the following weekend as they fell to the Buffaloes 102-90. But come back, four straight victories to end the season at home against twelfth 14th-ranked Texas against Oklahoma State at home, who was ranked 10th at the time. On the road, the last two against Texas Tech and Baylor. Then they go down to Kansas City at Kemper Arena, win three consecutive there as the number one seed and the regular season title winner against Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma for the championship. Finishing up here, we're a deep diving as we're looking back at the great teams from our state's history. This is the 1999-2000 team. We go to the NCAA tournament and some of the vitriol that was out there and the anger from Iowa State fans. In today's environment, the NCAA has worked in past seasons, not this one, obviously, but in past seasons, to, though you're a number one and a number two seed, is not matching up the best two teams from each of those. Balancing the bracket. That wasn't the case in 2000. And because of that, many people considered Iowa State, some people will still argue they should have been a number one seed. As I look back and I dug into the resume a little bit deeper, I can't buy into that one, but they sure, certainly should not have been placed in the same region as the overall number 1 seed. That was Michigan State. They went into the tournament as the prohibitive favorite. There's no way Iowa State should have been placed there. Really as I looked at it, I think the west bracket would have been the one that could have balanced things out the best, setting them as the number 2 seed to the west instead of what we got to see out of of course the Midwest region with Iowa State. They got to play the first two games, excuse me, close to home in Minneapolis against Central Connecticut State and against Auburn in the round of 32 before the Sweet 16 in Auburn Hills. They sent out West. Well, who they would have seen in the round of 32? Gonzaga. Gonzaga team, fresh off their big run the year previous to that. That's who they would have saw who got back to the Sweet 16 as they beat St. John's. I think that's the one that would have made the most sense. And that bracket also opened up in a big way. Another what-if. Arizona got beat in the round of 32 by eight-seeded Wisconsin. The Badgers went on to the Final Four with Dick Bennett and company. But what did we get? Well, we got this. A matchup against Michigan State, the number 1 team. Let's go back into that game as we get it started in Auburn Hills. Ed
0: Lundquist, Michigan State goes... And quickly, it's Johnson right side to Cantrell Horton. No. Michael Nurse, that pass deflected. First turnover of the game. Here is Mateen Cleaves. He'll dribble, penetrate, and it'll run Oh, my goodness. Got to stop him. He's very
1: strong going down the lane. A game that will go down for a long time. Just the start right there and what was an incredible, incredible game. In the first half, it was back and forth. It was nip-tuck throughout this one as you'd anticipate with these two squads, but Michael Nurse doing his thing.
0: Backs out, comes to Nurse. Shirley. <laughs> he's got some range. Doesn't he, he just sets it up there,
1: the leveler. The leveler, as he's called, uh, Raftery and Vern Lundquist, how great it is to hear those two guys together. Let's go late into the second half, and this is when some of the craziness and some of the tough memories start to crop up. Before, here's Marcus Fizer with an and one, but the back end of this, this is something to remember.
0: Ranger, the return pass, helped from Engene, off the glass, count the basket, put Marcus Fizer at the free throw line. Well, how do you beat a double team? Vern, just be bigger, stronger, and tougher. He is a junior from Arcadia, Louisiana, by way of Inkster Road in Detroit. goodness. Well, I guess they didn't teach you how to stand up in mechanical engineering.
1: <laughs> There's the call. Paul Shirley as Pfizer's going to the line to complete the and one at this time with four minutes left. Iowa State is up six sixty one fifty five, and Shirley falls into the lane. A lane violation could have made it a seven point lead. Alas, that didn't happen. Now, the biggest I think memory for a lot of people of this game is what happened. And the double foul. Let's take a look back at the double foul. A listen back of the way you heard it on CBS.
0: Pfizer back to Horton. Get him down low right now with Granger. Got Granger. Here's the entry pass and the double. Nice kick to Shirley. Good foul. Oh, they got a difference of opinion here. Yep. Difference of opinion.
1: So the officials come together. Very, you can see right away on the television broadcast. It is called a blocking foul from the official up top. He comes together with the official had the charge call underneath. They talk. The official that made the block call is walking over to say this was a blocking foul. And right as he's ready to put Charlie Bell's number up there, 14, and call the blocking foul on him, he turns back around. He goes and has another conversation. They come up with the double foul. And for them, the momentum was certainly in Michigan State's perspective. It went their way. Mo Pete hit a big three-pointer. And late in the game, later Eustachie was ejected from that one. Very classy, goes over, shakes the hand of Izzo, but a disappointing end to an incredible season. I know that's going to be the memory for a lot of people, but as I watched this game start to finish last night, as I have been watching highlights of this team over the last 24 hours, incredible, incredible squad, the toughness, the tenacity that they played with, the efficiency that they played with on the offensive end. The shooters on the outside, Pfizer inside and outside, on and on and on. This was a great team and certainly a great one to tackle. I talked to Paul Shirley, in fact, yesterday via email. He's going to join me next week, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this team, his run during his time at Iowa State. Certainly looking forward to that, and that's what we're going to do. Today, Iowa State, 99-2000. Tomorrow we get into football. We'll go to the Hawkeye perspective, and one of my favorite teams, the 2002 Hawkeye squad. Final timeout coming back. Putting a cap on things. Ken Miller joins me next as we take you until noon. It's Miller and Condon back with you one final time. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Ken Miller back with us here. And Ken, well, just took a final deep dive into the 2000 Iowa State season. I know we talked a little bit about it here at the beginning of the program. But going through last night, I went through and and watched uh, start to finish that Iowa State-Michigan State game from 2000. (laughs) Really? Uh, It was, boy, a high-level game. And... You know, the things that people said about that one, the way the Final Four broke that season with two eight seeds, getting into the Final Four with Wisconsin and North Carolina, it felt like it really was. That was the national championship game. Watching Eustachie as he walks out after he was ejected late in that game, and he goes over and gives the handshake to Tom Izzo and Mateen Cleaves. And you could see that moment, those two together, with Izzo and Eustachie talking. And I don't know what was said, but I'm going to guess it was something like, you're the best team that we've seen all
0: season long. Well, and I can back that up, Trent, because um, the following year, Bob Dyer and I had Tom Izzo on, and you know I'm certain that he says he'll say something positive, whatever market he's on with doing a radio piece. But he he was very sincere. It was because uh, I remember this plane as they, Bob Dyer, who is, you know, he, he's not buying into anything. He was a tough little tough one. Um, you know, he could, uh, he he would, he would see through things pretty clearly. And, and we both, um, you know, we, we hung up on him, we went to break, and, and, and Izzo said to us, and, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, it was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but he said, I, I wanted to be very clear that Iowa State was the best team that we saw in this tournament, and whoever came out in that game was going to win the national championship. And he said, again, along the lines of, and I'm not just telling you this because I'm on with you guys here this morning in Des Moines, Iowa. So I, I truly believe it. So so help me out with this right? because I didn't I didn't know you uh, that's real good that you watched it. But here's what I remember. I remember there was one call that I'm sure went against Pfizer way away to the basket. Made no sense that they and I don't know if it was his fourth or his fifth foul, but it was a seemingly a makeup call or and did they did they was that the was that this instance where they called a foul on both players, I and mean, that might have been a different
1: one. That was a different one. So the, the double that was fu- a different one? Yeah, the double foul was actually the fifth on Shirley. At the time, Iowa State was up okay. a point, sixty-one sixty. 61-60, double team against Pfizer. He throws it over, cutting through the lane. Was Paul Shirley. He goes up. Charlie Bell was there. He, he was not set. He was not completely set. And at that time in college basketball, today, I, I think nine times out of ten, they call a charge on that one because you don't okay. have to have your feet set, quote-unquote. You can still be moving as long as you have defensive position. But in college basketball in 2000, there's no doubt that was a blocking foul. That, that was a bad call. You see the two officials. They come over. One's got the block. One has the charge. They talk about it. And the referee, he's initially going over, the one that had the block call. They have a short conference. The official's getting together. All right, block, charge, what do you got? The referee starts to go over to the scores table to call a blocking foul. He was the one that had that. He was pretty gung-ho. This is what I'm going to call. As he's walking over to the scores table to put up the one and four for Charlie Bell, he comes back, and they have a longer conference with the three officials, wow. and that's how they come up with the double foul. There's still just under three minutes left, uh, four minutes left in the game. I think it was 3 when that happened. Even with two free throws there, with Shirley at the foul line, it's a 63-60 yeah. game. It's no sure thing... But boy, right. the momentum, and you could feel it afterwards. Even though Iowa State got possession after that one, they had the alternate possession arrow pointing their way. You could just feel it, and maybe it's because you know what's going to happen,
0: the mm-hmm. way that it
1: goes. But that one, it, it was it embodied a momentum changer in that game. Yeah. Michigan State comes down, they get a three from Mo Pete, or was a putback from Mo Pete. Boy, that team was really freaking good too. Yeah, they were. Oh man, up. Watching that game last night. Iowa State's dudes, the Michigan State's dudes, just two great teams. And the other part about this, I know even as the brackets came out, there were so many people upset. Iowa State, regular season title winner, conference tournament title winner, the season that they had put together, and they were not just a number two seed. That's fine. You look at the other number ones, the other number ones had better resumes than they did. But to put them with the top number one seed, even if it was Mm -hmm. in the Midwest, that was the one that, that just, just got to sting forever. Ship them out west. Go out west. Yep. You know, something like yep. that would have made a whole lot more sense than putting the first and the fifth best teams in the same bracket.
0: No, I couldn't agree with you more, Trent. And uh, now now the memories are coming back once you describe that a little bit. And you're right. The rosters of both of these schools, uh, they, they had so many good players, so many good players on both. I mean, Iowa State, look at look what Pfizer did, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the big. And. Um, oh, my God, such a such a fun game to watch. And it, it felt like it at the time that that was their chance, right? And, boy, it sure seems like that was their chance when we look back on it now. I think you're on to something with this little exercise uh, that you're doing here. I think this is uh, going to be fun. What's tomorrow, the 2002 Hawkeye football?
1: 2002
0: Iowa football still...
1: For me, my favorite Iowa football team throughout my memory bank. Now, I remember bits and pieces of 85, but I was in kindergarten. I mean, it's not quite the same. Right. Don't have the same depth and breadth of knowledge that I do of that O2 team. And because of that, that's my favorite. Just that team, not out of nowhere. There were expectations coming into the year, but nothing that they'd done before. They never had an undefeated 8-0 Big Ten season before. The high-flying nature of that team, the offense that they had, the shootouts, the games, on and on and on. For me... My favorite season to remember back to for Iowa football during my memory, is certainly that O two team, and that's what we'll be diving into tomorrow.
0: Well, good because I'm looking forward to it. You're right. There was there was uh, speaking of stacked rosters, right? Look at yeah. look at that offensive line for crying out loud, and of course the quarterback position, Brad Banks for the longest. That's you know what I remember about the year to begin with. I mean, obviously, the Seahawks game was the, the finish in that was crazy, especially when you consider the halftime. You know who you should get on he's on vacation is Scott Knock, um, who works with us. You know he was on McCarney's staff. Oh yeah, he told, and I, I, I think he would tell these stories uh, that he shared with me just uh, uh, just McCarney at halftime and how he was solely uh, determined to to, uh, to turn this around and to and to fire up his guys. And some of the stories that Scott Nock has told me about that night are just uh, remarkable. But back to Iowa, you know, they they lose that game, and then Brad Banks catches fire. And Seneca Wallace was no longer the, you know, the Heisman uh, candidate in our state. Well, he certainly was for a while. And then Oklahoma happened. But Brad Banks. He just kept rising and rising and rising. Yeah, it'll
1: be fun. I'm looking forward to that one tomorrow. Yeah, 0-2 uh, Iowa State team is also on my list. That's going to be probably a couple weeks down the line just because of the way that it ended, but still because of those stories, getting into the top 10 and before the game down in Norman happened and and they get blitzed off the field in that one. That was a really good Iowa State team, too. And, you know, this is a chance where we can dig deeper and talk to people like Scott and talk to people that were there Mm -hmm. and and what went wrong, not just – as the wheels were falling off, but was there more going on losing to UConn in that last yeah. game of the regular
0: season? Hey, and UConn, don't forget, UConn uh, uh, was not part of, uh, where were they at the time? Um,
1: they were in an independent, they were just transitioning from a, a 1-AA program at the time to I don't, a one or Or
0: had they, had they fully transitioned yet? I'm
1: not even sure they had, are they? I'm uh, looking at their schedule from that year, yeah. They played Boston College, had Georgia they? Tech, yeah, so they had... Went down to Miami, okay. who was number one at the time, and, of course, uh, a great program at that time. So they were they were a full D1, but did they have a full complement of, of scholarships? <laughs> yeah, that's just it. That was the last game of the regular season it for us. Yes, yeah. That, another kind of oddity of that schedule and the mm-hmm. way that it played out that season. The opening game against Florida State that year, what could have been, Seneca was still in against Florida State. Yeah. Th- there's a lot in that 0-2 season. Maybe we wouldn't consider it a great season here for Iowa State fans, but I think one that has a, has a lot of layers that we can unpack. And that's what we're going to be doing here. Not just our favorite season, not just the best seasons, but seasons that have a storyline. I want to talk about 1993. And most of them do. Yeah, and, and Chris Street in the year that he passed. And we've talked to it with uh-huh. Wade Bill in the past, but but talking a little bit deeper, if guys want to talk about that and go into it. That's what we're going to do. We have the time for it, so... We're going to keep digging in here. Today, it was Iowa State, the 99 2000 basketball team. Another great what if, what could have been, but still the accomplishments of that team, what they accomplished, what they put together. And and another thing, you know, people are talking about Michigan State and how big that crowd was. You're basically playing a road game. The Cyclone fans that got in the building in Auburn Hills oh. that day, oh, they were loud. Yeah. They were incredibly yeah. loud. They showed up in a big way.
0: Yeah, no, I know. And I heard from a bunch of them that were there. And, uh, Yeah, a lot of them made the drive over there. We're glad that they did. But yep, they were. You're right. It was a home game for Michigan State, but to no surprise, uh, Cyclone Nation showed up. No,
1: no doubt about it. Well, Ken, uh, certainly this is going to be a continued interesting time. You stay safe out there. We have plenty more to dive into. We touched on a lot of different topics today, and we await Tom Brady and what it's going to be. This this new cycle for the NFL. Boy, it's helped a lot us sports fans.
0: Uh, Trent, it's been wonderful. You know, we talked yesterday that that the NFL was going to get a lot of criticism, and you know what? I, I I think maybe in the beginning there was a lot of folks that didn't feel like they were doing the right thing, and again, the NFL owners did not want to do this. It was the Players Association that insisted. But the uh, the NFL has has provided the uh, the country uh, with a, with at least a little sliver of what our lives used to be like you know this last little while, and. Certainly grateful for it that we there is sports to talk about and it is the NFL. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's fun to watch them. It's uh, look there, there's previous years where I'm guessing some of these free agency signings have slipped by mm-hmm. some people because there's so much going on. It's March Madness. Dot. 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 I think a lot of sports fans will be able to take a test here in about a month's time, and most of them would ace it as regarding to where the guys on their team went, to who their teams got, and some of the teams in their division, because we're paying attention to this like never before.
1: I, I In our past conversations throughout the years, I know every once in a while you try to, try to slip in an NFL free agency news or note. Come on, Ken. It's March. We're, we're not doing that. Right. Well, Now we're doing that. We're doing a whole lot of it. Ken, stay safe out there. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. All right. Thanks, Trent. You too. Miller and Condon here each and every weekday from 10 until noon on 1460 KXNO and now 106.3 FM. We got Murph and Andy coming your way at 2 o'clock. The Fanatics at 4 o'clock and our local programming starts each and every weekday here at 6 a.m. with the Morning Rush. For Ken Miller, I'm Trent Condon. Thanks for listening in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.